Well, because love, that is what we're here for and what we're going to talk about and what God's word is going to speak to us about. So I'd invite you to turn in a Bible uh, to 1 John chapter 4. It's towards the back of the Bible uh, here in the West Auditorium, as well as in the East Auditorium. Uh, there's some Bibles there that they can, uh, that, that Heather and some others can pass out. And there's some in the pew racks now. Probably have a device that's smart enough to have one on there as well as at home. We're glad to have you and to look at God's word. And that's kind of one of those things we say every week, like turn in your Bible. But just kind of knowing how this one's going, it's one of those messages that it would be helpful to have the text right in front of you rather than just to maybe depend on the verses on the screen. Uh, as what we're going to do is as we look at this text, we're going to really understand what this, we, we've called, we, if you were here with us, we started this series last week called Because Love and a little review uh, in case you maybe you weren't here or you've slept since then and, and would appreciate that review. Um, I'm going to do my best weatherman here on, on my right here. But we went through this diagram that uh, we said, first off, we needed to debunk this, this kind of like funk and misunderstanding we can fall in when it comes to what we might call the good enough cycle that we think, you know, we slip into this, you know, if I love others and love other people in the church and love God, well, then maybe I'll do enough of that that God will like me, that he'll be pleased with me. It's like, it's like we know God loves us unconditionally, but does he is he pleased with me? And so we, we turn that around into what the scriptures say, what First John has to teach us and that. No, 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 no. It's because love at the top. It's because it says he first loved us in First John 4.10. Because he first loved us, then in response, we then love God in return. We love one another in his church. And then we love others in this world that they too might know what we have discovered, the love of God, that he first loved us. First John 3.1 says it this way really summing up week one, says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. This is how much love he has for us, that we should be called children of God, that we are his children, we are his child, you are his son, you are his daughter of the Most High, it says in the scriptures and the Psalms, and that is what we are. And then John goes on to say this, and it says, but those in the world, he said, for this reason, the world does not know us, is that it did not know him. And so I want to look at that understanding with this idea of the world knowing, you know, those of us who have accepted that uh, because love cycle and how others and how we can be sure that we know him and how we can be sure that we know that we know him when it comes to this because love cycle. How do we, you could say, how do we know we've accepted this? How do we know we've said yes to this? How do we, uh, you, you could say, how do we know we've taken the next step from knowing that God loves us to you might point to that arrow, that first arrow there that says, okay, I've accepted it. And then what does it look like to love God, love one another, love others? And so that arrow, that, that knowing that we know him is what First John is gonna focus on in our passage here today, that we can have that confidence that we really do know him both in this life and in the next. First John 5.13 says it, this is the reason that John is writing to us. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that, for this reason, you may know, that you may know and have the confidence and know that you have eternal life. 
And so that's the goal of John's letters to the churches that we're looking at. That's the goal that we have here today. But most importantly, this is the goal that we have in all of life and eternity, that we would know that we know what we believe, that we believe, and we have the gift of this life both now and forever. And so 1 John 14, 4, 13 through 17, our passage, it gives us that confidence. It gives us the roadmap to that knowing. So follow with me, starting in verse 13. It says, This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And it goes on, it says that if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, well then God lives in them and they in God. And so we know. We know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And so whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment that in this world we are like Jesus. Okay? And so that's our, that's what our text, that's our passage, and we're going to kind of work our way back through it, starting back at the first two verses there, verses 13 and 14. What that does is just sets the stage, really speaking to the authority that John the writer has to really have the authority to say the things he has to say, that he says that he and the other disciples that they personally, quote, have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And then as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit, he says, has come upon John and the disciples to live in them and to lead them. And then in the verses that follow, John goes on. He says how you all and I and we as the readers can experience the same, that we can have the same reality in our lives. It says it this way in verse 15. It says, John says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. If anyone, the reader, you, me, if anyone acknowledges, other translations say confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, well then God lives in or abides in, other translations say, in them and they in God. A couple of weeks ago, we had the privilege of uh, being a part of 14 people uh, being baptized over our Easter weekend services. And what baptism celebrates really is this reality that we're reading in verse 15. This reality, it says it in Romans 6 this way. It says that just as Jesus, the Son of God, died and was buried and rose to new life, we too in baptism, we participate in Jesus' death by burying ourselves under the water, burying our, ourselves being in charge, burying sin in its way, burying that, the forgiveness that comes with that, and then rising up out of the water, celebrating the new life, just as Jesus rose from the grave. We rise from that to a new life where he's leading us again, both in this life and the next. And so when we do that, we ask two um, pretty important questions that uh, really make the way for the confidence that we have in stepping into that baptism. And usually by the time we get into waist deep in the water, we're pretty sure what the answers are gonna be. But these are the questions. We say, have you acknowledged, have you confessed, uh, have you uh, accepted Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sin, as your savior? 
And then from there, do you commit to follow him as the Lord and the leader of your life? So you could say, um, live in or abide in, as verse 15 says, all the days of your life. And so why do we do this? Why do we ask these questions? Well, because if anyone, reader, you, me, acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, their forgiver, their savior, then God lives and he abides in them and they in God as Lord. And so it's acknowledges and lives in, confesses and abides in, Savior and Lord. Maybe you could think of it uh, this way. Um, Have you ever lost just one glove? Just one glove. Uh, And we know what happens then. It's like we take uh, the remaining glove, at least this is what I do, and we hold on to it, hoping against hope that that other glove might show up. But eventually, when we know that it does not show up, um, it just, you know, goes out of the coat closet where it's been dying its slow, miserable, long death and into the trash heap, never to be seen again with the other one. And so for me, I'm kind of like a glove fanatic. And um, the reason I'm a glove fanatic is because when uh, it comes to my my ethnic background, um, you could say I am 70% Irish, 20% Italian, and 10% zombie. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that because of my gangly arms and legs, I'm convinced that my arteries and the veins, they, they pump blood to somewhere about right there on the wrist. And they say, you know what? It's far enough. Not going any further, and they just head right back. And so I am constantly, and if you know me, you're seeing, I get comments all the time when I used to shake hands and all that stuff, and they'd be like, your hands are purple. They're always purple. Summer, winter, it doesn't matter, they're always purple. So I am a lover of gloves. But one of the things I've learned is what you've learned. I, have too, have lost many one gloves. And again, do the same thing you do, kind of hope the other one will turn up. Uh, until eventually, uh, you know, it dies that slow, miserable death in the coat closet and eventually to the trash heap. And so what I discovered was a secret to keeping both of my gloves. And that is, there's this fancy little thing on both sides of the gloves called a clip. A clip. And I, I kid you not, and those of you who know me know I'm this nerdy. This is literally what happens. I have broken the habit of putting both gloves in two different pockets and losing one. I have broken that. And I will literally say out loud, nope. <laughs> and I will say, no glove left behind. <laughs> and I will clip them together and put them back in pockets. So I have lost many a one glove, but I have never lost both gloves when they have been clipped together. No glove left behind. That's what the clip is for. And so, 1 John 4.15. It says that we are to acknowledge and live in. That we are to confess and abide in. That it is to be Savior and Lord clipped together. To have only one is the equivalent of having one glove. It is to miss the point of the gloves. It is to miss the point of the good news of what Jesus has to offer us in him, that we would know him and follow him, that we would accept him as both savior 
and Lord, because if anyone, you, me, acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, then Savior, clipped together, then lives in and abides in them and they in God. Because in baptism, in the Easter story, Jesus, he died and he rose to be our Savior and our Lord. Dr. Leon Morris, uh, New Testament scholar, in his commentary on this exact verse, he, he states it this way. He says, clearly, John means more by acknowledgement than simple intellectual acceptance of a fact in history. However, today we have to stress that neither it is any less than that. So saving faith depends not just on this general warmth and positive feelings towards Christ, but it does in fact depend on a doctrinal confession concerning the person of Christ, the Son of God, on which the whole of our experience of God actually depends. So Romans 10.9 says, it says that if we confess, if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, well, then you will be saved. If we declare this, if we make this decision, if we accept this. But Dr. Morris goes on to the, you could say the other side of that coin, really, you know, the other glove attached to this reality. He says, and further, the mark of that reality is a life which expresses personal faith in Christ as God by obedience to his commands and growth like him in character. Neither of the two strands are optional. They cannot be separated. And so both of these strands, both of these gloves in which our lives are committing to you really could boil down into one word that we see here in the scriptures, and that is believe. That we are to believe. And what we believe is more, again, just an intellectual agreement. It is holistic because, for example, I believe, for example, this stage will hold me up when I step on it. It's because I believe that this is true that I confidently walk across without fear of falling through. And so what we believe as you play that out impacts how we live every area of our life because it is Savior and Lord. It is two strands that cannot be broken, two gloves clipped together. And so when it comes to accepting, you could say, this arrow that we're looking at to, to believing, what this holistic understanding of what it looks like to believe, to take on that arrow, that arrow uh, it really comes down to what do we believe about Jesus being Savior and Lord? What are the implications of that? What is he saving us from? What is he forgiving us from? And then what does that have to do with the way that I live my life? And a whole lot of that has to do with this idea and this word that we keep coming across, and that is sin. And so I want to spend some time talking about sin, which I know is super exciting. Invite all your friends. That's the topic everybody was hoping we'd talk about. It's, okay, it's sin. It's in the Bible. God's against it. Move on, right? No, okay, a little bit more than that. Here's what the scriptures say about Savior and Lord and where it comes this idea of sin. Romans 3.23. It says, we, first of all, we have all sinned. We have all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God, which means when we say we sin, it means we've missed the mark. Well, that's what that word literally means, to miss the mark that God has set. And interestingly, John is writing to a group of people who actually believed they had not missed the mark. 
They actually believed that they were without sin. It says it this way in 1 John 1, 8 uh, through 10. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, you might say, okay, how could someone actually believe that they're perfect, that they're without sin? Well, we looked at it a little bit last week. There's this heresy that believed that there was a separation between the spiritual and the physical. And because of some of the implications of that, they actually believed they had not actually functionally sinned, that they were without sin. And so I'm not sure that's really the thing that we have slipped into in our day, but we too can fall into claiming, or you might just say acting and living as if we do not have sin and risk quote, deceiving ourselves with the truth not being in us. I think for us in our culture, in our setting, we have this ability to be aware of uh, a lot of bad things that go on in the world and a lot of bad people throughout history and all this stuff. And so what happens is uh, in our day is that we see people who are more bad than us. And so rather than accept that maybe we are generally bad, we have this almost this subconscious belief that, you know what, I'm generally good. Because, you know, at least you're not like that person from history or you're not like a serial killer. I mean, there's always someone who's going to be more bad. And so as you think about someone being more bad, it's easy to slip into this idea, well, I'm doing pretty good. Or maybe you've made some improvements. Guys are working on We can kind of slip into this pride thing. But that is the wrong measure. Because the measure of missing the mark is not set by those of this world. The mark was set by our heavenly Father, his perfect will and ways, to which... We all, we all have missed that mark. And so that's, you could say, the bad news that we miss that mark. But the good news is, even though we all fall short of the glory of God, verse 9, 1 John 1, 8, 9 through, or 8 through 10, verse 9, this is actually the first verse I memorized when I, when I became a, a follower of Jesus at age 16. It says, if we confess our sins, if we acknowledge, if we confess our sins, well, the good news is he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Because if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. In other words, if we claim without sin, then Jesus died for nothing, it says elsewhere in the scriptures. And that obviously is not what we want to slip into. Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins and we want his word to be in us. And so, we have sinned, we all have imperfections that have broken our relationship with the sinless, perfect God. And the book of Romans goes on to say that the penalty, the consequence of that sin is separation from God. The wages of sin, it says, is death. This eternal separation from God, both in this life and the next for eternity in hell. Like that is our separation, that is our consequence, that's the bad news, but the good news is the gift of God, Romans 6.23, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, You've probably heard this. You've, 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 maybe you've even accepted Jesus as the forgiver and the savior of my sin and its penalty and all of that. But when it comes to sin, there's this giant by the way that John gives us all throughout 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And hopefully you've had a chance maybe to read that this past week. If not, I would encourage you to read those. It's a short read. But all throughout, just, just sprinkled all throughout is this reminder, this disclaimer when it comes to our understanding both uh, when, we, when we do sin is what you could say. It's like, what is it that we do when we do sin? Because yes, we've accepted Jesus as a forgiver and savior of our sin, but what about after that? You know, I'm not gonna live a perfect life after that. So what do I do when I do sin? Well, 1 John 2, 1 says it this way. It says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, 
But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so we see that through Jesus Christ, our advocate, who sits at the right hand of the Father, it says, it says if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful to forgive our sins. And so when I miss the mark, when you miss the mark, as you will, the good news, the good news of the sacrifice of Jesus that you could say forgave you initially in that first time decision is still the same sacrifice that forgives you continually. The good news that forgives and saves us initially from our sin is the same good news that continues to forgive and save us continually. That is good news. Okay, so we're still forgiven as we follow Jesus and we stumble and fall and all that stuff. But here's a deeper question that I've asked. Maybe you've asked or maybe you've thought but not dare ask. Um, You're just hoping for the best. And that is like just rubber to road. How much can I still sin and still be forgiven continually? Because 1 John also says this about sin. 1 John 3, 5 through 6 says, But you know that he appeared so that he may take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Okay, check, we got it. I accept, I believe Jesus takes away and forgives my sin. But then it says this. It says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Hmm. In fact, it goes on. It says, No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Okay, time out. So if I keep on sinning, the scriptures say I don't know him. Time out. You just said, first John 1, 9, if I confess my sin, he is faithful to forgive my sin. It's like, which is it? I feel like, you know, John's talking out both sides of his mouth here a little bit. It's like, okay, I just need to know, am I still forgiven or not? Uh, I need to know which it is. Will I still be forgiven if I keep on sinning? Well, what John reveals is that we are asking the wrong question. That to the question, how much can I sin and still be forgiven? It's actually the wrong question. And what John does in these passages, he's drawing a distinction. Throughout 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, he is drawing a distinction, a significant difference, in fact, that makes all the difference, if we see it closely. 1st John 2.1, if anybody does sin, is significantly different than 1st John 3.6, keeps on sinning. There is a distinction, there is a difference that if and when I sin versus keeps on sinning. And while it might feel like semantics or playing with words, here's the difference. Here's what happened. Here's what happens. The verse we're looking at in our primary passage, verse John 4, 15, this idea that if I acknowledge Jesus as the son of God, at some point, acknowledge Jesus as the son of God, the reality of accepting Jesus as my savior and Lord, somewhere along the line, got reduced to a decision rather than a direction. At some point in our head, in our hearts, understanding, in this question that we ask of how much can I sin, is we missed that it is not merely a decision, but it is a decision to a new 
direction. It's a, it's a faith decision. It is, yes, acknowledging and confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, which is then a lifelong faith decision to a new direction where we experience not just acknowledging and confessing that Jesus is the Son of God as Savior, but the rest of verse 15, that God then lives in and abides in you and you in God. Because if anyone, reader, you, me, if anyone acknowledges and confesses, decides that Jesus is the Son of God, the forgiver and Savior of their sin, well, then it says that out of that, God lives in and abides in you and you and God as the Lord and the leader leading you in his new direction. And so it's two gloves clipped together, two strands that cannot be separated, Savior and Lord, a decision and a direction. And so over the next several weeks, we're gonna look at what that direction looks like. What does it look like to live in a direction that loves God, loves one another, and love others? But we can't get there unless we understand first that there is a direction, not just a decision in a moment. And so to fully answer the question fairly, you know, what about this difference, okay? If and when I sin versus keeps on sinning, you kind of like skated past that. If and when we sin, Let's, we can paint it this way. It's how John paints it. If I am committed to going that direction, to following Jesus and his will and ways and his commands, and I'm going the direction of Jesus, he is the Lord, he is the leader of my life, and as I do that, as I stumble and I sin and I fail and I fall, which will happen, the good news is, 1 John 2, 1, you have an advocate in Jesus Christ that 1 John 1, 9, that when you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just, not just in giving us what we deserve, just in giving us what Jesus gave us that we don't deserve and that is a new life, that is forgiveness in him over and over and over again as we pursue him and figure that out by the power of his Holy Spirit at work within us. That, when I sin, is very different than well, I did pray that prayer once. There was that decision card. I went forward at that thing. Um, I prayed a prayer. I, I, yeah, but I think I'm just going to keep going my own direction. I'm just going to keep on sinning. I'm just going to keep on being the leader of my own life. Do you see the difference? There's a significant difference between following Jesus and stumbling and having a posture of confessing and repenting and working with him to, to kind of do what's best that he has best for us and just, it was just a decision. It was just a card. It was just a box I checked. But just continuing it your own way. And so, maybe for you, as you realize this, you think through this, you say, yeah, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to, minimize the decision you made. The decision you made, the box you checked, the time you came forward, the prayer you prayed, all legitimate. But if that decision was not to a new direction, well, take heart because today you can still decide to take on the new direction. You can say, yes, Savior, yes, Lord, because that means you get to make a new decision. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, decision, well then good news, God lives in you and you in him for a new direction.
a life with two gloves clipped together, two strands that cannot be broken, Savior and Lord, a decision and a direction. And so, wrapping up this passage, uh, our last two verses really re-say essentially the same thing in different words. Verse 16, it says, and so we know, and we rely on the love God has for us, the two strands, the two gloves clipped together again. We know he is savior and we rely as Lord on the love that God has for us. We know a decision and we rely on a new direction on the love God has for us. And then it goes on because this is kind of goes back to last week. And if you missed last week, you can catch it online. And I encourage you to stay with us. All this whole thing goes together. We want to want to understand all of what God has for us in his love. He says this, God is love which means love is God. And we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians 13, it's love, we've heard this, that love is patient, love is kind, love keeps no record of wrongs and that love never fails, which means since God is love, love is God. And so God is kind, God is compassionate, he is patient with us. He keeps no record of wrongs, God never fails. God is love. And so in this life, whoever lives in love then lives in God and God in them. Verse 17, This is how we know his love is made complete. This is how we know the two strands stay unbroken, the two gloves clipped together. This is how we know his love is made complete among us. So that, so that you, I, we will have confidence on the day of judgment that in this world we are like Jesus. That we are following Jesus as both Savior and Lord, a decision and a direction that we would discover that we are becoming more and more just like, verse 17, Jesus. And so to that end, may we all be reminded of the two strands that we have in him, that is Savior and Lord that saves us and leads us both instantly and continually. And for you, maybe today, maybe today is the day that you make a, a new decision that includes a direction. Um, and so if that's where you're at today, then I encourage you here in this room, don't leave until you've been able to have that conversation. And in the East Auditorium, I know Heather's there would be honored to talk with you. And if you're at home or online or actually in any of these rooms, you can text us too at the church. Uh, just text us your name and uh, maybe just a simple let's talk. Uh, or, and we'll be honored to continue that conversation uh, with you of what that direction in your life could look like. And so let's pray together as we give thanks for this reality. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're, we're full of thanks for what it has to say, that there is good news, um, that you are both Savior and Lord for giving us as an advocate um, as we confess you are faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from sin. And so, may we, every day, re-up our acceptance, that decision of a new direction where you are both every day, Savior and Lord, in the direction that you are leading us. We thank you for this made possible by the seal of your Holy Spirit at work within us. In Jesus' name, amen.